welcome to the Bullcast Podcast. I'm Katie Pickler, and with me is Court Winsett. Hello, Katie. And Cameron Spann. Hello, hello. Okay, we got a little funsy one today. Um, this is exploring the financial landscape of fandom culture. <laughs> AKA nerds. <laughs> we are going to nerd out on this episode because, you know, there's something really big coming back. Yes, there is something really big coming back. Comic-Con. <laughs> yeah, Comic-Con is coming up. Of course, our, our lovely Nicole is the one that put together this outline for us, and she is a member of probably one of the nation's largest fandoms. Cult. Uh, T-Swizzle. Yeah. She is definitely a Swifty. Does she even go by T-Swizzle anymore? I feel like I'm dating myself by calling her that. I certainly hadn't heard that reference to her. Sure. (laughs) Okay. So fandom pretty much can apply to anything. At its basest nature, it's just if you're a group of people that get together because you all have something that you like in common. The mecca for this fandom is Comic-Con in San Diego, yeah, which is July 20th through 23rd this year. And it's actually the first one back since the pandemic. It's been a minute. That's it's been crazy. a two-year hiatus. Yeah. Well, and Comic-Con's the original. You've got all these fun-off ones that you'll see, micro ones. and it's yeah, like, like little local ones, yeah. And it's like ones that are specific, like Comic-Con Marvel Edition or Comic-Con DC Edition, like that are very specific to certain things. And like I think I've seen a lot of recently um, some conventions and stuff where a lot of like the 90s people are getting together. Oh, yeah. Like 90s mm. conventions and 80s conventions. And and I feel like Comic-Con really blew up when movie studios started promoting movies oh, yeah. that were coming up yeah. and they would show clips. And then Comic-Con attendees were the first to see it and it yeah. exploded. Yeah, 100%. Comic-Con, when it started off, first of all, there are multiple Comic-Cons in multiple different states. The one that we're talking about is the is the biggest in terms of total attendance. That's San Diego Comic-Con. Mm-hmm. It is the one that the studios started pouring money into. Hall H is the name of the, the giant hall where all of the biggest movies are basically showing their wares to the comic book collectors. Those people tend to be big fans of the superhero movies, the big budget summer tentpole movie type. All the costumes. And this is interesting. I'm looking at an article on Vulture about the excitement about Comic-Con finally Mm -hmm. coming back. And it says, a disturbing chunk of major studios is pulling out of the convention as a jittery Hollywood grapples with the reality that a sizable portion of the industry is on strike due to outrageous labor conditions. Oh. Interesting. That's crazy. So right now, both of you are aware, the big strike that's going on is is the writers. Mm -hmm. The the writers have been on strike now for a while. It's coming up, though, that uh, the actors' union may be striking as well here shortly. And... um, I got to ask you, is your daughter cakey? Is she striking? She She's not in the writer's union, so she's, okay. yeah, she she's not striking. There's been a bunch of celebrities, like, coming out, you know, supporting the writers. And, I mean, the financial toll that the writer's striking, and now if the actors get behind it, mm. it's going to be a ripple effect. Because, yeah, we're hearing about the writer's strike happening right now, but mm. we're going to see a content issue in, you know, the next six months to a year to even further than that mm. of all these projects that have been delayed because of the writer strike and it's I'm fully supporting the writers it's you know they obviously have the fear of AI and the company's not wanting to pay them but obviously it's you know the writers are the magic behind it all yeah I feel like it's really important to support them especially from studios and directors the Duffer brothers who direct Stranger Things created it they are in support of their writers and they have postponed filming the final season of Stranger Things 
which is what, killing me. Which is no surprise <laughs> because there's what, like five years between seasons? Those kids yeah. are going to be like 30 by the time yeah. final season I saw up. something that, you know, not a lot of people may know, but it's, you know, they're going, oh, well, we have the scripts or we have, you know, we have the scripts for the movie or we have the scripts for the shows. But there's writers that sit on the shows for all of these, all for the movies, for the TV shows that are constantly still editing and writing. So it's not that it's just these studios can take this script that a writer's written and be like, okay, we can go on without them. No. And it's, you think about some of the greats that are just like rifting and like, you know, saying whatever comes to their head. And then a writer's going to have to rewrite something because it was brilliant what they came off with off the cuff. But now what the next person was supposed to respond mm -hmm. to them doesn't make sense. Yeah. So writers are at the core of all of this incredible content. Mm -hmm. We've definitely got. Off okay. Yeah. We, we, we did sort of take a, take a side road there, guys. We haven't even done our list yet. <laughs> and we're like, what, 20 minutes in <laughs> go writers. <laughs> go. Hey, no, but, um, but I mean, that's a financial impact that it's, you know, in the fame of world. Yeah. 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 I, I don't know if y'all recall the last time the writers struck, there was a writer's strike. It's been probably a, a decade and a half. Yeah. I was thinking 10 years. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, longer. Late 2000s, somewhere in there, maybe. Interwebs say it was November 5th, 2007 to February 12th, 2008. Yeah, okay. okay. What like I'm trying to spit out here like is that there is a segment of TV shows that if you watch TV shows that were produced around that time, there are a whole bunch of shows, like if you're if you're streaming a show, the one that comes immediately to mind for me is Smallville, for some reason. That was still being produced when the last writer's strike was going on. And Grey's Anatomy was being produced. Any of those shows, if you look at their 2007-2008 season, uh -huh. it's significantly shorter than the other seasons. You know, this is all the shows were coming out with 23, 24, sometimes even 25 episodes per season. And that particular season, there was 10 or 12 episodes. Well, so that one was only four months. So are we already past four months with this strike? Oh, are we still no, just think, a couple no, months? I think just a couple it? months. Yeah. I want to go back to Comic-Con. So um, yeah, I, that's why we're here, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was in San Diego. David ha was being inducted into the National School Board Presidency. And it was in the convention center in Hall H. And mm. we had to try and bring the South to San Diego. And I just remember Comic-Con was happening like three days later. Mm. And I'm like, can I like hide in a bathroom? Like, what can I do? I want to be here for Comic-Con. And obviously I was not going to hide in a bathroom for three days, but I did read where people have done that. Mm -hmm. And like, they do a huge suite. So I want to go to Comic-Con. I want to don a whole crazy costume every single day mm -hmm. and fully live it up. But Court, you've been to Comic-Con. I have. One of the things that I will point out to you is that I was a comic book fan in my youth and my son also started collecting comics w when he was a kid and so we went to comic-con because we were comic fans and it started off as a convention where basically comic book traders and dealers and owners would would go to comic-con to buy and sell comic books and then the the hall h phenomenon with the movie studios sort of sprang out of that. But, you know, originally, you know, when when Comic-Con in San Diego kicked off its first year, it was held in a basement somewhere. And, you know, there <laughs> were maybe maybe a couple of thousand attendees. So it had and, humble beginnings, like yeah. most great things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And now it's just huge. It's just, I mean, it's it's crazy. So, yes, I've been only one time. I took my son. We went. I actually did not attend a single panel in Hall H. They're really hard to get into. They're notoriously hard to get into, especially for the really, really popular TV shows and or movies that, that are doing panels. Uh, I mean, the line starts hours and hours and hours in advance of 
whatever is going on. And uh, it's outside. You're lining up outside. Sometimes people are getting there while it's still dark outside and wow. trying to get in. I did not want to go through that with my I guess at the time he was like maybe 10. <laughs> at the end of the show, I'm going to ask what fandom you would dress up as if you were to go to Comic-Con. So just be thinking about that during oh, the show. Okay, let's start with our list that Nicole has put together for us. So the biggest ship war in... As in relationship? Yes, as in relationship. So the biggest relationship wars in pop culture history. What does this have to do with fandom? Well, because, because you shipping have... is part of fandoms. This spawned because Nicole and I were talking one day about team whatever, team whatever. Like mm -hmm. when you watch a show, a lot of times you're like team this guy or team this girl. We talked about this team Jacob, team Edward. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so that's kind of, it's, it spawns a fandom because then from that you got, you know, we're going to talk about in this episode, like merchandise and chat groups and conventions and all of that stuff. And it really becomes almost identities of like, oh, I mean, Nicole has has shamed you and I, Court, because of our choices on a couple of these. And mm -hmm. she says, well, y'all would because you're a such and such and such and such. So <laughs> <laughs> so some of these I feel like we're going to, you know, each of us are going to be able to chime in on different things. Mm -hmm. So the first one on here is Gilmore Girls. Yes. And it is uh, Rory, mm -hmm. whether it's with Jess, Logan, or Dean. Yes. And everybody that is a Gilmore Girls fan has... Has a guy. Has a guy that they that they like. And I have been vocal about my position on this particular topic a couple of times, even on the show. I'm a Team Logan. I'm a Team Logan, yeah. and Nicole is definitely a Team Jess. I've never seen it. Can I call Ab real quick and ask her because she loves Gilmore yeah. Girls? Sure, absolutely. Hey, Cam. So we're recording Bullcast, and I'm going to put you in here. You're on speaker, by the way. We're going through the biggest relationship wars in pop culture history. And the one that came up was Gilmore Girls, which I've never seen, but I know you have. So there's Rory, and then with Jess, Logan, and Dean. What team are you on? Jess. Why? Uh -oh. I just think he's perfect for her. <laughs> Do you want to expand anymore before I let you go? <laughs> I was just watching a video earlier today of them, and, you know, they both love books, and he's kind of got the bad boy thing. Yeah. And I like it. Who's everybody else? Logan. Uh <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Katie and I are both wow. Logan. Wow. <laughs> Court, I'm surprised you're not Jess. Oh, God, I hated Jess. Wow. I, okay. Well, we'll have to discuss further, but I, I love hearing that. Well, thanks for your two cents, Ab. <laughs> thanks, guys. Bye. Well, I, I have no say-so here, so I'll yeah. just go with uh, my well, wife's I'm, opinion. Yeah. Why not? Sure. Yeah. Okay, the next <laughs> This is like just me and Court's shows. <laughs> uh, Vampire Diaries. Yes. You've got Elena with either Damon or Stefan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And anybody that is. That knows us. Yeah. Obviously, we're Team Damon. Yes. And again, Nicole is Stefan. Is she? Um, and again, yeah. I'm just here. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. No. Why, why am I even here? I get the Hunger Games, which I have seen all of the films. Okay. Abby, again, has a strong opinion about this because she loved the books. Hmm. You've got Katniss and then the love triangle with Peta and Gail. Yeah. I'm pretty sure, Abby's going to kill me if I get this wrong, I'm pretty sure she's Team Gail. Hmm. Now, in the movies, he doesn't get a lot of screen time. So yeah. you, if you haven't read the books, you're probably like, why would you be Team Gail? But she has a, an opinion about 
about that, why she chose it. In the books, it's much more pronounced. The, is it? The, the, the relationship that she has with Gail is, is far more obvious in the books. Gail's a little more macho. He's, he's at home. I think he just brings her some peace. And then Peta is in the adventure with her. He's mm. in the first and so he's, he's in all the Hunger Games yeah. with Katniss. And he's a baker, an artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't really have a position on this one. Um, Me neither. I'm team Katniss. How about that? Like, she didn't need a guy. <laughs> sure. I mean, <laughs> strong female lead. I don't know. That's not one that I ever picked a, you know, it's just her. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Sex in the City. Okay. We've been, Robin and I have been catching up on, and just like that, the new oh, one. Oh, yeah. I'm not caught up. So yeah. So, well, we're caught up. We're okay. fully caught up. I'm, I was heartbroken when I found out it's 25 years old. Because <laughs> I remember this was a show that I thought I was being sneaky. My mom told me recently, like, she knew what I was doing. I would go into my brother's room, and it was when he was at college. So I was in high school, but I'd go in there and watch Sex in the City in his room because I'm, oh, you're not supposed to watch that course. At that point, I was watching it, and it was where it was, like, edited out, so you didn't really Mm. see a lot of the bad stuff. Mm. But I'm a big Sex and the City fan. I love Carrie. Mm -hmm. And so this is... Mr. Big or Aiden. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't really have, uh, I, I do, I have sort of a hot take position on this that has just now come to me. I never really liked Big. I was never a fan uh, of that particular character. So it's not so much that I'm on team Aiden, so to speak, but I, I'm definitely not on team Big. See, I loved Aiden when, in the grand scheme of things, because she had had Burger and she had had all these other like just jerks. And Mr. Big was always mysterious that popped in and out. And was always the one that she wanted and can never really nail down to have. And so Aiden seemed super sweet. But then I became very disinterested in Aiden because of the way that unfolded. I haven't seen the new show, all of it to know. Obviously, it was very happy when she got with Mr. Big. But it was kind of one of those that with anybody, like once they finally get with what they've been striving for for so long, like... Mm -hmm. Is it really? Because obviously the movies, it's well, very yeah, traumatic. And, and The first movie really sort of like put a point on it. You know, basically an exclamation point. Here was this great series. Here's this movie. Boom. Yay. Wedding. Marriage. Great. I didn't ever see the second movie, but I heard negative things about it. I, just from what I heard about where they took Carrie's character and what she, some of the things that she did in the second movie, I, I just I was like, I don't want that to be the way that I remember. So I never I never watched this the again. Movie. Being a big Sex and the City fan, I feel like it's not Carrie and a guy; it's Carrie, mm-hmm. it's her and her friendships. Yeah, that's the team is the girls together. Right. Beverly Hills, not a two one zero. This is a show that I just now have started trying to watch because I've the feel, original. Yeah, I've I've never seen any of it, and I feel like this is just is on my list of like I should watch this. Yeah. Okay. So the original, it was when I was in high school. That's how old this show is. They were airing the original when when I was in high school. Uh, it's like I remember specifically being on a double date with Robin and like it came on while we were at my house. I had the TV on and it came on while we were out on this double date with another couple. It was before we got married. It was, you know, it was when we were dating. So it was like 1990. <laughs> Let's rapid fire the rest of them. Uh, I get Dawson's Creek. And this was a little bit before my time. I think I was junior high when this came out. I was a little mm. young to be watching it. Oh, uh, I love in it. high school, people told me I look like Pacey, so I'll just go with that. Mm. Yeah, I, w- I was a Pacey fan for sure. Yeah, definitely Pacey fan. 
Dawson. Yeah. Joshua Jackson, the actor that plays yeah. Pacey. Um, you have no opinion on the next one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, I do have an opinion. That is for sure. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, classic. Buffy, Angel, and Spike. And which which fan are you? And uh, wasn't everybody Angel since he got the spinoff? No, it didn't work like that. <laughs> uh, School me. <laughs> Spike was more of a, a slow burn. Their relationship came about way later in the series. He had been a thorn in Buffy's side for a good part ever since season two, but the romantic angle for Buffy and Spike didn't come about until season six. And then there was one more season after that, season seven, and then Buffy ended. Spike moved over to the Angel <laughs> shows. So the last season of Angel, Spike was on Angel with Angel. Anyway, okay. I'm probably Team Angel, but there are a lot of people that really loved Spike. Because, again, that bad boy, mm. yeah, he was a bad boy. People... Which shocks me you wouldn't go with a bad boy because, like, Damon and Logan are the bad boys. Okay, but Damon and Logan both amused me. They <laughs> they both were funny. I enjoyed Damon's quick wit. Yeah. He had some, some great quotes that I love. Uh, and Logan was the same way. I thought he was funny. He amused me. Yeah. Spike was never funny. <laughs> okay, what about Scandal? We've got Olivia, and she's either with Fitz or Jake. So I have Fitz no Fitz was obviously the president, and then, you know, Jake. So I was Team Jake. I never watched a single episode of Scandal. In solidarity, I will go Team Jake because I have no say-so here. <laughs> uh, Gossip Girl. Okay, we've got Blair with Nate and Chuck, or Serena with Nate and Dan. Mm-hmm. I'm Chuck Bass all the way. I love me some Chuck Bass. This I find to be an interesting conversation because when the show first started, I really hated Chuck. And I didn't realize that there was this huge, oh, Chuck and Blair are meant for each other kind yeah. of fandom element out there. I didn't realize that until the show was almost over. <laughs> Yeah, this show has a lot of drama in it and a lot of the fandom of picking. And Nicole chimed in and she said she liked Serena and Nate together, mm. but doesn't like Nate without Serena. And mm. so there's whole like spinoffs of that. I just absolutely head over heels for uh, Blake Lively. Oh, so. yeah. Anything's I mean. <laughs> anything Serena. Yep. Uh, One Tree Hill. Lucas with uh, Peyton or Brooke. Yeah. Again, this is one that I never watched. Uh Chad Michael Murray is Lucas. Yeah, I didn't like him. He, he you know, he he played a jerk on Gilmore Girls uh, in the early seasons, and, and then, he's kind of a yeah. It's he comes the main character of One Tree Hill, and then it kind of goes away where it's much more about the girls. Yeah, and not him. I never watched. Um, it. I was big Brooke Davis fan because mm. I feel like the Brooke and Peyton are, can be similar to the Blair and Serena mm. in that aspect of it. I mean, all of these we've talked about, and we've got two more to go real quick, but. Most of the time, most girls could identify with one of the girls from it, and most guys could identify, or the girls could pick, like, what guy they would want. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what made all these shows so popular and spawned so many of the fandoms. Yeah. All right, let me take the next one here. We've got Twilight, Bella, Jacob, and Edward. Mm -hmm. Abby and I are actually working through the Twilight saga again. We were at the beach. We're like, let's just have a, a fun time and just start watching these. The movies are trash, if, if you don't remember. They're mm -hmm. awful. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, the highest rated of the Twilight uh, movies in the whole saga got a 48% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's the highest rated mm -hmm. one. Wow. So um, you've got Edward and Jacob, and the obvious answer is Edward. Mm -hmm. Jacob got the, the Gale treatment from Hunger Games in the movies you don't see him as much wolves are cool but he imprints on her baby yeah but he's hot <laughs> he looks like a 12 year old in those movies taylor yes he really does i don't know like I like a really jacked I, I would say i haven't watched it since like they first came out and i just remember it was like you've got this pale which 
you know me, I'm a vampire person. And I did not like these movies because I don't like the concept that my vampires are sparkling. That's just weird to me. Mm-hmm. But funny, like, fandom crossover, Damon, and um, in real life, he is married to his wife, who was in Twilight and played a vampire. Which one was she? She was... The blondie? Nikki Reed. Yeah, so he's married to the blonde, Colin. Yeah. Um, The movies are super cringe. They're fun to watch, but sometimes it's too much to handle. I can chime in on this from the perspective of a parent who had a child who was obsessed with the books and obsessed with the movies. Uh, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I read all the books because I read them all before I would let her read them. The books are horrible. If you think the just movies bad are bad, writing. it's just terrible, terrible writing. But there is a just a whole generation of people who were just big into the whole Edward and Jacob thing. Again, wolves are cool. I love the Native American lore. But in the movies, I have not read the books. The movies, there's not much of a love triangle. Early on in this series, she's like, Edward's for me. I'm sorry, Jacob. And she doesn't really waver that much. Jacob is the friend. From my perspective, the entire second book was basically Bella and Jacob. Yeah. Like Edward yeah, was out Ed, of the picture. Edward's at the Vatican yeah. or something. Yeah. So so the entire book focused on her relationship with Jacob. And that's why that's why it became a thing. Because she had a, a long time relationship with Jacob where Edward was completely out of the picture and, and Jacob was there for her. See, I feel like Twilight was going on and it was for the little kiddos. And then True Blood was going on at the same time, which was werewolves and vampires. Mm. And so, I mean, I was like, oh, that's for the little kitties. They sparkle. Give me Eric. All day long with True Blood. I did love True Blood. Is this a Twilight podcast now? I feel like this is a Twilight podcast. (laughs) I feel like it's turning into a vampire podcast. We haven't even we haven't even finished the list. This has got to be the like the record breaking. It's it's got. We're sprinkling in some of the fandom stuff in there. Um, The last one on the list I'll take because it's one of the shows that I have watched over and over and over again. It's How I Met Your Mother. Robin, Ted, and Barney. I'm sorry, but anybody who watched How I Met Your Mother knows that Barney and Robin were meant to be together. The fact that they did what they did in the last season is kind of just garbage nonsense to me, but that is all. <laughs> Obviously, Barney is a spirit animal. Like, he's he's the best. <laughs> so, we're a finance podcast, and we've been talking <laughs> about <laughs> fandoms all this time, but what I do find interesting about this particular topic is just how much money people will spend to indulge in their fandom relationship. So it's funny because, you know, we just did that succession episode, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we took the photos of kind of like embracing our inner succession character. And immediately I caught myself going and just looking at like Shiv stuff. Mm. And found like a it was a like a knockoff of like a Taylor Swift shirt, and it's like I'm in my Shiv eras, and it does that to you. Mm. We all like to feel a part of something, and we all like to identify with things, and so that's what spawns so easily that you pick a fandom, you pick a character, and then it's so easy for them to like give somebody gifts of that, or for you to have stuff in your house or at your office that identify you to those characters. Mm-hmm. It's like Court with Eeyore and things like that. Mm-hmm. Like our podcast itself. We have little baby Yodas here because we all think he's cute and he's kind of a part of the birth of our podcast. That's a good point. Nicole was kind enough to define fandom. It's a subculture, that's the key word, composed of fans characterized by a feeling of empathy and camaraderie with others who share a common interest. So subculture, you want to feel like included, accepted, and and that's what you bond over. Yeah, Yellowstone, like I really felt a lot of strength towards Beth and Mm -hmm. then I'm like... So I have a, you know, a sweatshirt that says Beth Dutton energy or something like that. And you were terrifying. 
Shiv and Beth. Yeah. I mean, these, these <laughs> have are, you met me? These are not good people that you're, <laughs> they, they both have some serious problems that you. <laughs> I have Beth and Shiv energy. I like Damon and Logan. <laughs> the internet obviously played a big part in making fandoms what they are today. There have been long running TV shows that people were very, very big into and so forth. But until, until the internet made everybody being able to share their common interests in like a, an online forum and whatnot, that's when this stuff started to get really serious. And that's when you really started seeing conventions pop up because people are like, hey, we're all fans together. Let's go to a random city and meet. Well, and, and it's coming back to one's shows like Say by the Bell that wasn't, you know, internet wasn't a thing really at that point. Mm-hmm. But people are going back and saying like, were you team Slater? Were you team Zach? It is just this whole phenomenon behind it. And again, it goes back to people just want to feel a part of something because, I mean, it's fun. It's it's kind of bringing back your youth. Think about little kids and they like have their favorite dinosaur or they have their favorite, you know, like color. And it's just kind of almost their identity. Mm-hmm. That it's just a fun little conversation starter that you can talk about that's not heavy as like, you know, politics and Mm -hmm. what's going on in the economy right now. (laughs) But it can be expensive if you become obsessed. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You spend a lot of money traveling, buying all the fan gear. Shoot. One of the things is, you know, do you do you just stream these shows or do you own like the the complete DVD (laughs) box set of the show or whatever? Yeah. So historical backgrounds of this fan community. So early 2000s, there was no social media. Fans kept their fandoms to posters on their walls, listening to music and watching slash reading said material. I mean, that's true. It's, you know, Mm, the good old days. Yeah. You had all your posters up there of your favorite bands. And I mean, we're talking about TV shows here, but there's whole followings. We started out with Nicole with Taylor Swift Mm -hmm. and I just went to a Harry Styles concert and oh my gosh, I did not realize the fan following he has. Well, I mean, and and of course you've also got some obvious fan groups that have been around forever and ever, like the Deadheads, you know, they used to just follow Grateful Dead around everywhere they went and go to concert after concert after concert. So yeah, I don't think Taylor Swift would be near as famous if it wasn't for the internet. Think yeah. about all the videos of her tours and how it's exploding and building this energy. Mm-hmm. Without internet, yeah, I mean... yeah, T- TikTok be- is blowing up fandom for sure. So, you know, the impact of technology and social media platforms, Tumblr was a huge platform for fandom, and then we got Twitter, TikTok, Reddit. It's easier to connect to others who love the same things you do. Absolutely. And that's, that's true. Yeah. Subculture. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> when I remember when, when Buffy was airing originally, I would go to the Buffy chat sites and talk to other people about Buffy. And we all find that because it's, hey, are you caught up on this show? I want to talk about it. Um, mm-hmm. That's Nicole told me the other day. She goes, you really need to watch The Bear so I can have somebody to talk to oh, about the it. The Bear's great. And so I've now started watching it to try and have conversations And there was her. something else that she told us to watch. Oh, she she wanted to know if we watched. Did, did, did you ever watch Friday Night Lights? Yes, I did, I did not watch the, the TV show. I've seen I've seen the movie. I've but never I, seen the movie, but I've seen the TV show. Yeah. And it's apparently it's great. It's great. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So a lot of times fandoms can be toxic. Oh, I mean, that's what I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we've got to talk about that and. I hear the anime fandoms are the most toxic. Mm. You can become downright obsessive. Have you ever heard the term? It's used frequently nowadays. Gatekeeper. Yeah. Your fans that basically assert that they are the real fans. You know, they won't let other people express a a liking of their show because, you know, that, you that person like isn't this a real on the fan. first yeah. episode when it first aired. Yeah. You can't come in late. Yeah. You can't be bandwagoners. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's a real negative aspect to a lot of fandoms that these people, they tend to sometimes get possessive 
over what it is that they love and they they don't want to you know it starts off with a fandom you you're seeking out other people who you want to share this with but then you start no, this is a closed group now. We, yeah. Barring entry to, to new people coming to love what you love. So I, I don't know. It's weird. It's yeah. an odd behavior to me. But I mean, the other hand, like we've talked about, it can bring people together and really just kind of have that social group, that aspect of you could be sharing with somebody who lives across the country from you mm-hmm. and you're sharing your same passion about it. And I think the music industry, and this isn't really on there, but you know, Nicole's put together a great outline for a future episode, and it's about a musician, and it goes into depth about the reasoning behind their songs. And I feel like that has really dawned because of social media and stuff mm-hmm. like that, that there's all these, they're not conspiracy theories, but there's just all these like groups and conversations happening about, oh, why did they do this? Taylor Swift for sure. It's mm-hmm. all like, oh, was that an Easter egg? Is she, yeah. you know, nodding to this, nodding to that? Mm-hmm. A lot of times, and the artists have to come out. I, again, I was at the Harry Styles concert, and I don't know a ton about him, but I remember thinking, hey, in in one of these songs, like about something like super inappropriate, but it doesn't sound like it. And it's the Watermelon Sugar High mm-hmm. song, and. Apparently, like so much had come out about it that he finally then addressed it and was like, yeah, it it may be about that. (laughs) But it's just it's interesting because it's bringing a ton of people together. Yeah, speaking of bringing people together and speaking of Queen Taylor Swift, I've seen videos of all the the girls who go to her concert. They make these friendship bracelets that go all the way up their arm and you trade them with other people there. Mm -hmm. It brings people together. Yeah, it's crazy. Okay, so the merchandise and collectibles. Now, merchandise and collectibles have been around for a long, long time. We did that whole episode about... All the different collectibles. Um, the Funko Pops is the first one listed on mm-hmm. here. And I think every single one of us we in this do. office have one, at least in our in our office. Mm-hmm. I think we've probably got more hidden somewhere else. But, I mean, they're just little figurines, if you don't know what they are. That oh, yeah. They have a big head and they just like a caricature of who mm-hmm. you like. Yeah. Like, yeah. I've got Bono and Gandalf. The on first one desk. I ever got was Arya Stark. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and so it, it can be TV shows. It can be musicians. Mm-hmm. It can be really anything and everything. And I know there is, like... A big drive to find it. There's a an FAO Swartz in New York. There's a huge Funko Pop section. Oh yeah, yeah. and so that's okay. You start collecting those things. Um, I remember my brother. You know, is a big Star Wars person, mm-hmm. and he would collect all these different Star Wars things. And he collected the shampoo and conditioner and body wash bottles that had like Darth Maul and Yoda yeah. and all of those. And like you, you couldn't touch them though. And I remember, I think it was a couple of years ago, I went to his house and his little girl was playing with one. I'm like, oh, and he said, yeah, I, I had to let that one go after one, of softened them, up in after one of them opened it up. Yeah. And But it's like there are so many things that it's like you can't touch this. You can't take it out of the packaging because mm-hmm. then it's ruined. And and then that goes to insert episode collectibles that mm-hmm. we did forever ago. And yeah. are you a fan for collecting purposes for yourself? Are you doing it for resale? Like, are you doing it for bragging rights? Because it's like, I don't know, Cam could just be like, my entire office is nothing but you too. And it just explodes everywhere. There's a guy, uh, an actor by the name of uh, Seth Green, who... <laughs> he makes it seem like, oh, you know, this random guy, like, we all know Seth Green. Austin Powers, <laughs> Rat Race. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, also, Robot Chicken. Oh, um, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. One time, somebody was interviewing him, and he talked about, he's got an extensive collectible collection, and he talked about the fact that they're toys. He's like, you know, you, they have to be played with. 
I, yeah. he was like, I don't cop to that whole like uh, keep them in their package, keep them mint yeah. in box no. and so forth. Take them out, pose them, play with them. That's what they're supposed to be for. Sort of robot chicken is kind of like just an expansion of that. It's literally just a bunch of stop motion <laughs> videos yeah. of of toys. Um, that have been played with. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, you got fan-made products on here, independent creators. Once something becomes a big buzz, then you're going to start seeing it everywhere. Everybody's going to have some kind of copy of it, um, some kind of adaptation of it. Yeah. Etsy is is listed on here, and I have never been on Etsy, but I do know that it is Love it. apparently a place that you can go and buy crafts by other people, basically. It- <laughs> it's great. I got this little mini. So in disc golf, you have a little marker that you put where your disc was. Mm-hmm. It's like a mini disc almost. And right. I got one on Etsy that's metal, so it's real heavy, and it has the Lord of the Rings ring script around it engraved. I was like, go Etsy. Yeah, Etsy has some really cool stuff. I like to tell people, you're paying these people to do the crafts that you wish you had the time to do, but you don't. Or if you were to buy all the supplies and then try and make it, you would spend more than just paying this person who does it for a living. Yeah. I'm a fan of it. And then we come to the other financial aspect that we've mentioned several times would be the, the <laughs> Convention. fan conventions. Conventions, obviously, they play a huge role in engaging the fandom, engaging fans with each other and also with the actors. Because a lot of times these conventions, uh, the actors will show up. It's an easy way for them to make some money, signing autographs and stuff like that. So a lot of these actors actually rely on these conventions as a substantial part of their, their income on a regular basis. George Takei still goes to Star Trek conventions and still is is out there interacting with fans and so on and so forth. And that's an older show, but it's probably one of the original fan conventions was yeah. probably Star Trek. Well, and I mean, we've seen different movies and TV shows where they've portrayed where the person has to go and do these conventions in order to make ends meet. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's keeping some of them alive, like Nicole's got listed on here, Scream franchise, how Scream is still staying alive and, you know, the Vampire Diaries. And they'll bring up these old shows, especially around like anniversaries, mm-hmm. and then trigger a whole new generation of fandom. Talking about that, these people are descending on a city. Oftentimes in mass. I mean, so these things can be like, for instance, for a while there, they were talking about the unthinkable moving San Diego Comic-Con to a different city that was bigger that could handle the number of attendees that are showing up at San Diego Comic-Con. Because San Diego was basically when Comic-Con is going on, San Diego as a city is full. You can, I mean, you yeah. can't find rooms. You can't find, I mean, like Verbos are gone. Uh, Airbnbs are gone. Hotel rooms are, forget about it. You just can't find anywhere to stay unless you booked, you know, a year in advance. And so they, they talked about, I don't know how serious the talk ever got, but they talked about finding a different city. Like a Los Angeles, Chicago, um, New York. Yeah. yeah. But, but San Diego was like, hell no. That's you our know, bread we'll and butter. it out. Yeah. 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 Please stay because it's a huge event for them. And it's a huge revenue generator because people are coming in town, staying multiple nights, eating at restaurants. You know, they, they don't spend all their time at the convention center. They, you know, they're going out and you injecting. You may just notice a lot of people in costume. Yeah. <laughs> they, they're going out and spending money in the local economy. And so these conventions are not only a big deal for the show and for the fandom, but also for whatever city is hosting it. Memphis has long been sort of a redheaded stepchild in terms of being able to attract any of the major conventions because they didn't have enough rooms downtown to uh, support a major convention. But talk about the ultimate fandom, Elvis. Oh, that's Elvis true. has been dead for so long. But if you live in Memphis, you know when Death Week is and Birth Week. Mm-hmm. Like, 
that is a that is a lingo in our everyday lives of oh yeah because there are Elvis fans everywhere on his death week and on his birth week. Mm-hmm. It is crazy. And now our convention center has been remodeled. Yeah. Hotels are being built left yeah. and right. Yeah. We're, and it, we're gearing up for it's something. all with an eye toward drawing some of those big events, some of those big multi-day events. Like, for instance, one of the biggest events in Memphis used to be the Kojic convention was yep. here every year. And they moved it to a different city because we were not able to to support them as fully as they wanted. So I think since we lost Kojic, there have been a lot of moves to try and pos- reposition Memphis as a as a viable destination for conventions. It came back last year. Yeah, yeah, after several years of effort and also COVID. I mean, I, I think it <laughs> yeah. affected everything. Memphis is going to have to get its crime uh, it has to under control yeah. if we if we ever want to really see improvements. Okay, so crowdfunding and patronage. Obviously, one of the things about fandoms is that uh, the people out there. One of the things that the internet has done is it sort of democratized filmmaking and TV show making because you can literally, as a as a creator, you can go out to your fans and directly interact with them and ask them for money. So you've got things like what is that crowdfunding site called? Uh, GoFundMe. GoFundMe. Or Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah, Kickstarter. Stuff Indiegogo. like that. Yeah. Uh, and then you've also got stuff like uh, obviously Patreon is uh, is something. For instance, that we probably would never have our podcast on Patreon because we can't charge for yeah. it. But yeah, one Kickstarter. So I'm thinking of fandom. Um, Veronica Mars, Kristen yeah. Bell. Mm-hmm. She had yeah, she had the whole Veronica Mars show, which was great. But I think it was Kickstarter that was everybody getting behind for them to make the movie. Yeah, and it, it all happened because the fans rallied behind it. Yeah, 100. The creator whose name right now is escaping me went out to Kickstarter and basically was like, "Look, if we can raise this much money, I'll do the movie." And so they raised a bunch of money, and I think he ended up raising more than he had suggested he would need to be able to do the movie. And so he did the movie. He has said um, that the movie, because it was crowdfunded, uh, he also felt sort of obliged to do some fan servicing, basically. So he made certain aspects of that movie basically for the fans. And then famously came back and did another season of the TV show mm-hmm. later on. I really liked the additional the season yeah. way more than I liked the movie. But anyway, that's that's beside the point. Fans can do a lot. <laughs> yeah. There's so many aspects of this and there's so many challenges to it. Obviously, it kind of we're not going to go diving deep into this, but it's canceled culture mm-hmm. can be a part of this as well that if there are certain celebrities that, you know, maybe come to these conventions and do not treat their fans appropriately or send a bad vibe, then it can almost destroy any future gigs that that actor could ever get. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, financial implications on these people, because I'll be honest, Mario Lopez was at a crew of Orpheus, the crew I'm a part of in Mardi Gras. And granted, I was probably about three people in front of me away from him. So he was mm-hmm. very close. But my friend was a big Say by the Bell fan. She threw up a shirt that was Say by the Bell and said, Slater, I love you. And he rolled his eyes like, dude, you got started because of Slater. Like, you know, I don't know. I still uh, he's OK. But like that rubbed me the wrong way. And so these celebrities with this day and age of social media, your career can be broken very quickly if you have a misstep like that. One thing that is so true uh, about all of us, really, if you are a fan of something, then obviously if like, for instance, there's an actor in this particular show and you love the show or you love the movie, if that actor is giving off vibes like they don't really love what you love 
and they're part of it, yeah. you know, just it will. It'll sort of just it rub you the wrong way. Yeah. You know, you want your you want your actor to appreciate that. Like, for instance, here's a sort of a an issue that I've kind of had. He's never come right out and said, like, oh, I hate those movies. But you always get the sense that Harrison Ford really was not a big yeah. Star Wars fan. I yeah. get that, yeah. And uh, that's always kind of bummed me out, you know, because I'm like, but you're Han Solo. You're yeah. one of my favorite characters. <laughs> Come on. You, yeah. you know, you don't, you just don't, you, you don't want to see that. <laughs> I can yeah. kind of understand it. For instance, Harry Potter and Daniel Radcliffe, mm -hmm. when that's all he was known for and completely bombarded by yeah. fans day in and day out for years and years and years, you probably get exhausted. Sure. But yeah, if you give yeah. a little fan service, at least a wave. Apparently, yeah. Daniel Radcliffe, though, went to the Harry Potter exhibit in London and the security guard recognized him and said, you know, he said, can I just walk in? He's like, yeah. And nobody there recognized him. Wow. None of the fans that were there, like, they had no idea it was him. Well, he was a child when he did those movies. Yeah. I mean, you know, granted, by, I guess by the by the eighth movie, he was pretty much a full grown adult. But that's uh, a fandom that has just keep like because you declare which house you are. Oh, listen, I'm still a huge Potter fan. I'm absolutely 100 percent a huge Potter fan. My and, daughter is, too. Yeah. But again, and this is another interesting uh, aspect of this particular fandom. There are a lot of people who are very conflicted about being Harry Potter fans now because the author has uh, taken a stance on uh, some political issues that some people very, very much don't agree with. And because of that, that, you know, if you're consuming that media and putting money in, in the creator's pocket by consuming that media, then you're supporting that creator somewhat. And so it's like, ah, do I, do I give more money to this creator that I really don't like or do I give up and abandon this thing that has been s such a big deal? I mean, listen, I've read those books probably 10 times each. I mean, wow. I, I'm a huge Potter fan. And there's a whole contingent of the fandom now that is like, eh, maybe not so much. And I'm like, guys, how can you just like drop it? <laughs> you drop it like it's hot, man. You're just gone. Yeah, it's really neat watching the longevity of fandom mm -hmm. with my kids. Mm -hmm. For instance, Stella loves Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. The first book, what, came out in 98, mm -hmm. 97, 98, somewhere in there. Yeah. And uh, my boys love Pokemon. And I collected Pokemon <laughs> when I was 10. It's... There are just certain fandoms that go on and on and on and on. Yeah. Don't you wish you saw the Pokemon binder? Let's not talk about it. <laughs> All right. I know we need to wrap up the show. We've gone a little long, but I do want to ask the question that I teased at the beginning. Mm. If you were to go to Comic-Con, and I think we all, you've been, but I think we will all go at some point. Mm. We have to go. We will go. Uh, what fandom will you represent? Katie. Uh, if I'm going to represent, then, you know, this is, again, y'all are going to get more details than you want. Uh, when I do a costume, I like to make sure it's a true costume. I don't like to do just the basic, you know, like, people have always asked why I've never done, like, Elle Woods or something like that. Well, it's because it's just basically, like, an outfit and, you know, me styling my hair a certain way. Mm -hmm. If I do a costume, I like to be fully immersive. I like the makeup, the hair, every element of it. So I probably would go full on nerd out, but I don't know which direction it's, I really would have to think about it. Um, maybe like a poison Ivy or like an iconic what about villain. Cruella? See, I've done, I've done a lot yeah, of my yeah. villains. I've like, cause I've done Ursula and I've done Cruella, but I would probably have to do, um, a villain for sure. And it would have to be very intricate one. So I, I don't know. Court, what mm. about you? I've literally been sitting over here spinning through all of the different possibilities. Now, keep in mind that real world court does not dress up. So this is Same. this is fully hypothetical. You know, there is not a chance in the world that I would ever actually do as I'm suggesting I might. But I think probably my favorite cosplays revolve around Star Wars. I'm kind of into that. 
I do like all of the, the comic movie cosplays that you see nowadays. But for instance, probably my biggest hero is, is Superman. I'm a big Superman fan, and, but I would never dress as Superman. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, so even hypothetical court, it's pretending that he might dress up. I still am going to be like, I got to at least wear something that's going to be flattering on me. <laughs> I feel like I would definitely do one of the mashups. Where have you seen a lot yeah, of those where yeah. they like mix two different things together? That'd so it cool. could almost be like a Harley Quinn Poison Ivy mash. I like that. But I would do like the comic character Harley Quinn, not the Margot, Margot Robbie, Robbie right. booty shorts type one. Right. Yeah. So you'd be doing full spandex like she is in the cartoon. The black and red. Yeah. And I'm with you, Court. I don't typically like to dress up. And then also Batman's my favorite superhero, but I wouldn't go as him. I think I would go as uh, some Lord of the Rings character, probably Aragorn, because it means a lot to me, you know? Yeah, I, I can see that. I'm going to stick with Star Wars. I'm going to say I'd probably I'd probably dress as a, maybe just a generic Jedi, not necessarily a character, but just, I, I've always dug the, the Jedi robes and stuff, and who doesn't want to play with a lightsaber, so. Yeah. <laughs> so we have our answer. We have DC Universe, Star Wars Universe. Middle Earth, Lord of the Rings universe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Cool, cool. There's the closing bell. Ladies and gentlemen, you've made it to the end of yet another episode of the Bullcast Podcast. If you liked what you heard and you'd like to hear more, please feel free to go to your favorite subscription service and sign up to have our podcast delivered directly to your listening device every single Thursday at noon. If you'd like to find out more about me or Katie or Cameron, you can go to our website. That website is bullcastpodcast.com. We've got a place where you can leave a comment, suggest a topic if there's something you'd like to hear us talk about, or even just say hello. If you like pictures, we've got an Instagram handle. That Instagram handle is at Bullcast Podcast. And we also have a Twitter handle. That is at Bullcast Podcast as well. We have a Facebook page. That is Bullcast The Podcast. If you'd like <laughs> to find out more about what we actually do for a living, where we work, that is Pickler Wealth Advisors. I don't know if we've mentioned it today or not, but... We all three work at a place called Pickler Wealth Advisors. And if you'd like to find out more about what it is we do, what we can do for you, more about our team and our boss, David Pickler, go to that website and check it out. That website is www.picklerwealthadvisors.com. That's advisors with an O. Not an E. Ladies and gentlemen, we've given you everything you need to go forth and be merry. So for now, I'm Court. I'm Katie. I'm Cam. And we're done. 